You don't have time to read the Bible. You don't need anyone in your life. You can do this all on your own. You always have. They don't think that you are good enough. You need to end this friendship. They don't think like you. They think they are so much better than you. Go ahead and say it. It's not gossip if it's true. Welcome to our third and final week of our series, The Devil at Your Doorstep, as we look at the different things that the enemy wants to do to try to render you ineffective for the kingdom of God. I hope it's, uh, hope it's been a great series for you to learn. Uh, anybody here either grow up or currently in a blended family? Any blended family people? Okay, some of you guys blended family. Uh, just a couple of months ago, my wife Amy and I got to celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary. And uh, thank you. Thank you so much. She survived 20 years with me, which is just amazing. <laughs> we did what a lot of couples do when they hit a milestone, and that is we spent some time kind of thinking back to how it all began. I know for me, uh, the very first time I saw her at church, it was love at first sight for me. <laughs> just for me. As a matter of fact, it took six months of wearing her down before she would agree to go on a date with me. And our very first date, I'll never forget it, we went to the Dion's, and uh, we sat across from each other, and Amy promptly let me know that she had a two-year-old named Nikki, and that if we were ever to get serious, obviously Nikki was part of the relationship. And, and I thought that was great. We were both almost 30, and I was ready to settle down, and I thought, man, an instant family sounds amazing. So our very next day, Amy wanted me to come over to her apartment and have some dinner and watch a movie, but mostly she wanted me to uh, get to meet Nikki. And obviously, I was kind of nervous. I, I thought, you know, this has got to go well because it won't work out with her if it doesn't work out with Nikki. But things didn't go the way that I wanted to. As soon as I knocked on the door and she opened the door to her apartment, Nikki, who was a 10-pound, 2-year-old shih tzu, began to bark at me and growl at me and continued to do so for 180 minutes. The entire time I was there, and this dog, from the very first moment she saw me, she hated me. And it wasn't long before I hated her, too. But I didn't tell Amy because I knew that Nikki was part of the deal. Well, this dog, let me tell you about this dog. Every time... Uh, I would sit down on the sofa next to Amy. Nikki would sit between us and growl at me. Every time I would go into the kitchen, if Amy was in there, this dog would run ahead of me and get in front of Amy and start growling and barking at me. I mean, she hated my guts. And I didn't know why Amy didn't stop it, but I had to understand that she was Amy's first love and I was her second and that was just the way it went, right? Eventually, we got married, and it was Amy and I and a demon in between us. <laughs> little by little, I started to warm up to Nikki, and she started to warm up to me, and we were good. So I thought. And then one particular evening, we'd been married six months. We were in our little townhouse, and um, 
uh, Nikki was there, and she was playing with a little stuffed animal, and I was like, oh, you're so cute. And I, and I reached down, and I picked her up to kiss her. Well, she dropped her stuffed animal, turned her face towards me, and then bit into my upper lip, splitting the outside of my lip, and then leaving these little half-circle teeth marks on the inside of my lip. I immediately dropped her. Blood started going everywhere. I started yelling, and Amy got me in the car, took me to the emergency room. They uh, used all these uh, shots to numb the pain. Thank you, because the shot is the pain. And numb the pain, and then they gave me six stitches in my upper lip and sent me home with antibiotics. When I got home... We had the talk. You know exactly what the talk was, right? I turned to Amy and I said, listen, sweetie, I love you, but I cannot take this. It's either me or the dog. And there was a long pause. (laughs) And I said, well, and she said, I'm thinking. (laughs) You'll be glad to know that I won. She relented and she understood after the dog ripped half my face apart, that it was time for the dog to go. So I loaded up Nikki, and I took her over to Amy's parents and dropped her off, and I was so glad I had won that round, and I was driving back home feeling great about myself until I entered the door, and there was Amy. (laughs) And she cried. She moped. She never smiled. She didn't cuddle. And for a week, I endured misery, and then I realized somebody smart once said, a happy wife is a happy life. So I humbled myself, I went and got Nikki, I brought her back home, and then over time, we eventually made up, and she actually became my dog every bit as much as she was Amy's dog. Demon dog. Listen, I'll be honest with you. Our first year of marriage, uh, it was a great thing getting married to Amy. It really was. But having a 10-pound monster constantly in between us, constantly trying to separate us and create tension was actually pretty stressful. And, And it reminded me of one more thing that the enemy, Satan, wants to do in your life and mine to cause as much damage, to cause as much stress and frustration As he possibly can. Now, during the first week of this series, we talked about how Satan wants to deceive us, right? He wants to come against our mind and cause us to question or or to doubt the word of God. But if that doesn't work, oftentimes what he'll do next is he'll come against our heart by trying to discourage us and, and steal our joy, steal our hope, steal our peace if we allow him to. Now, with this final session we're looking at today... We're going to look at a third weapon that Satan often uses against us, and that's division. If he can't deceive us or discourage us, oftentimes he will try to divide us from the people and the things that God wants for our lives. Now, I found that there are three ways that Satan wants you and I to be divided. First of all, he wants us to have divided hearts. He doesn't want us to be wholehearted for God. He wants us to be half-hearted. Because he knows a half-hearted heart is really not a a worshipful heart. Now, last week we talked about the story of Elijah, right? And we talked about how there was Elijah and there was all these awful false prophets and how they met on the top of this mountain called Mount Carmel and there was this showdown. But I didn't really get to explain to you what had led up to that showdown in the very first place. 
So I want to take a moment to pause and go back in time a little bit. See, centuries earlier, the Israelites had been in Egypt under the slavery of Pharaoh, and God raised up a man named Moses who delivered them out of Egypt across the promise, uh, excuse me, across the wilderness and on the way to the promised land. And if you know the story, God said, listen, you guys need to be careful. When you enter into the promised land, there are a lot of people currently living there who follow false religions. And if you don't drive them out of the promised land when you go into it, they're going to be a snare to you. They're going to be a problem for you. Well, the Israelites went into the promised land, but they didn't get the job done. And so over time, they began to get a little comfortable with some of the religious practices of the culture that they were in. And let me tell you guys, uh, some of these gods were terrible to worship. There was this god called Chemosh, and Chemosh was this bronze statue. And what people would do is they would take their newborn baby, and they would lay it across the arms of Chemosh, and then they would build a fire, and they would burn their child alive. There were these shrines all over, and people would go to these shrines and, and have uh, sex with shrine prostitutes. I mean, it, it was terrible stuff. And see, God knew this was going to be a snare, but before too long, the Israelites had developed a, a half-heartedness toward God. They were divided. They would kind of worship God and kind of go through the motions a little bit over here and do the things they liked, and, and then they would go and they would worship other things over here, and and God was tired of watching them destroy themselves. He knew that the Israelites weren't going to survive if they didn't stop doing that. And so he called Elijah and he said, listen, Elijah, we've got to do something about this. So I want you to get all the prophets, the false prophets, and I want you to get all the people, bring them to Mount Carmel, and we're going to have a showdown. And so that's exactly what Elijah did. He went out and he called all the people, and then the Bible says this, 1 Kings 18, 21. It says, Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. It's one or the other, guys. Elijah was so frustrated because he'd watched this divided heart grow in the Israelites. And so he, he looked at them and he said, listen, you guys make no sense. You're hot, then you're cold. You're yes, then you're no. You're in, then you're out. You're up, and you're down. Okay, that's lyrics from a Katy Perry song, but it's still the same point, right? That these were people who were hot and cold toward God. They were in, they were out, and, and really, they kind of wanted to create this blended kind of experience where they kind of did some of the things that followers of God are supposed to do, but not all of it. They, they kind of wanted to do some other things as well. They were half-hearted, not whole-hearted. I think that explains the culture that we're living in, right? So you can go to churches all over the United States right now, and you're going to find people who will tell you all the happy things, all the positive things about Christianity, but they won't tell you the hard things. And there are people, and they love it. They just show up to church, and they hear all the great stuff. God wants to bless me. It's like... They have their own spiritual smoothie. I, I want to show you what I mean by a spiritual smoothie, okay? I, uh, I don't make a ton of smoothies, so this might go real bad. But I, I want to give you an illustration of what most people want from Christianity. And, and hopefully this is not you, but this is most people. Um, most people who kind of go to church here and there, they, they love the Bible okay, you know? They read it from time to time. 
In fact, they mostly read the New Testament because it's a little bit more positive than the Old Testament. And you may not know this, but the New Testament was originally written in Greek. So I have brought today Greek yogurt. Okay? We're going to put some Greek yogurt into the mix here. And we're going to make our own custom spiritual smoothie. Okay? So let's do that. Let's put a little Greek yogurt in here. Hopefully it won't splash me. We're off to a great start, right? There's nobody I know that doesn't like a little bit of healthy Greek yogurt. Okay, there we go. Now, most people are okay with a, a little bit of the New Testament. You know, it's quite tasty. And I think most people like to come to church now and again. And, you know, when you come to church, you like to grow and you want to be strong. And when I think of strong, I think of spinach. I guess because as a kid, I watched a lot of Popeye. Uh, if you know what I mean. And so we're going to put some spinach in here because most people, oh, they, they, they like to grow. They like to be strong and healthy. So that's another ingredient most people like. Most people like God's blessings, right? I mean, we all want to be blessed by God. I've seen people on Instagram and they're like, too blessed to be stressed, <laughs> right? That's most of us. So we all like it when God makes our life fruitful, so I thought I would put some fresh strawberries in. Oh, yeah. And I thought I would put a delicious banana in here as well. And uh, this represents just how most of us, man, we, we love fruit. We love the, the positive things God wants to do in our life. I'm not sure that this is going to blend, so I'm going to poke this banana. There we go. All right. And so th these are things we all like, right? Pretty much everybody's good with this. This isn't hard. In fact, there's one more ingredient I think that we need to add, and that is we all love heaven. The idea of going to heaven and being in a place where the streets are gold and there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more calories. That's why I got extra creamy whipped cream. I'm going to put some whipped cream in here. I know that it's not healthy to add this to your uh, smoothie, but this is church, and that doesn't count, okay? So... We're, we're going to blend this up here. Let's see. I got to jiggle it just a little bit here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. We are gold. We're gold. That looks delicious. Okay. And I've got my sagebrush mug. I think I'm going to pour out a little bit of smoothie. Anybody want a fresh smoothie this morning? Okay, some of you guys, well, wait, okay, before I give you this smoothie, this is church, and I can't give you a fake church smoothie. It, it has to be the real church, because we don't do fake around this place. We want to represent God, and we want to represent Christianity, and let's be honest, not everything about our relationship with God is easy, is it? There are times when we got to deal with difficult things, and, and a life of following Jesus is sometimes a life with some sacrifice and some persecution, some difficult things. So I thought I would add just a couple more ingredients that kind of represent what it means to be wholehearted. One of them is grieving for our sin. The Bible says that we should be grieved when we sin, that we should not take sin lightly. And when I think of grieving, when I think of crying, I think of onions, Right? Onions make me cry. So we're going to put the onion in there. And that represents something that isn't quite as easy to put down. Then I think about the fact that the Bible says that 
Our words matter. That, that we shouldn't lie, we shouldn't gossip, we shouldn't say things that tear people down. In fact, we should use our words to build other people up. And, and the tongue is a very powerful thing. So I uh, cooked yesterday on the grill some sliced cow tongue. So I've got some cow tongue here. We're going to put that in there. I, I usually don't eat any tongue because I don't like tasting something that tastes me back. But <laughs> we'll put that in there. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> so, so there's the cow tongue, and it, it's in there, you know, and, and our, our words matter. And there's one more thing I think I want to add. Do you know that about 95% of Christians never tell anybody about Jesus? See, we just, we just love all the great things, but if we have to work, if we have to sacrifice, if we have to do the hard things, that's not always fun. Yet it's important. Jesus told his disciples who were fishermen, he said, listen, guys, you've been fishermen catching fish, but I want to teach you how to fish for people, how to use the gospel to reach people who are lost. So I'm going to add some, some fish. I got some sardines here. Ooh, that's juicy. Okay, this is a little bit more biblically accurate spiritual smoothie. Okay, let's blend this up. Okay. Anybody want... Any, 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 anybody now want the, the smoothie? I, I had a couple of high schoolers that were like, yeah, I'll take it. I'm like, you're so, you're so high school. <laughs> See, this isn't quite so appetizing, is it? I'm going to leave that in there as an object lesson for you, okay? See, we, we often want to create this custom version of Christianity that makes us feel good but doesn't change us. We want kind of this half-hearted devotion to God at times, and, and that's not what God wants. He wants full devotion because half-hearted is non-hearted. We, we can't have it both ways. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 24. He said, no one can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. We're either going to worship God wholeheartedly or we're not going to worship God at all because we can't do this halfway. But that's what Satan wants for you. He wants you to have just enough Jesus to make you feel good, but not enough to really change your life or change anybody else's life. That's what he wants for you. But that's not what God wants for you. God wants for you to follow him mind, body, heart, and soul, and he deserves that. Well, let me give you a second thing Satan wants for you and I, and that's to have divided priorities. Divided priorities. Uh, Todd has said this before, but it's really worth repeating again, that if Satan can't make you bad... He'll try to make you busy. That's really good. If he can't make you bad, then he'll make you the person who is so busy all the time, going here and there and taking your kids to this game and that practice and running around like a chicken with your head cut off to the point where your relationship with him will be on the back burner. You'll just be so busy. And here's something that I've learned. I've learned that a lot of people are fans of Jesus. Not so many are followers. Because to follow Jesus means you really do make him first priority. But a lot of people don't do that. In fact, in Jesus' day, a lot of people liked Jesus, but not a lot of people followed Jesus. 
and a lot of them had excuses. Let me give you one of them. There was a man who came to Jesus and he said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. I'm the man. Jesus knew his heart. And I think it's interesting how Jesus responded to him. He said, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place even to lay his head. I think this guy thought that following Jesus was going to be like following a rock star, that it was going to be like the lifestyles of the rich and famous. And Jesus was saying, listen, man, I know your expectation, but following me is not, it's not going to be health and wealth and happiness all the time. It's going to be suffering. It's going to be persecution. And oh, by the way, they're going to kill me. See, this guy had wrong expectations. He thought following Jesus was just just going to be this awesome thing. But he didn't understand the importance of having the right priorities. Well, there was another man who came to Jesus and he said this. He said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. Now you might be thinking, well, what's wrong with that? This guy's dad died. He needs to go have the funeral. And then he's going to follow Jesus. Well, that's probably not the case. Many scholars believe that what this guy was basically saying to Jesus is this. Jesus, listen, I like you a lot, but my parents are getting kind of up there in age and we have a family farm and, and I need to just wait a while until my parents die and that season of life is done for me and, and then I'll take you seriously. And then Jesus responded to him, listen, friend, let the dead bury their own dead. Follow me today. Wrong priorities. I think of a lot of times when Jesus asked me to do something. He asked me to talk to somebody or to deal with a sin area of my life. And, and I didn't technically tell Jesus no. I just said, this is not really a good time to deal with that, Jesus. I kidded myself into thinking that I, I was going to obey sooner than later, but I, I really was just telling God no. My priorities were out of line. Jesus said this when talking about mixed priorities. He said, but seek first his, God's kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. He said, seek first. Not when it's convenient. Not when everything works out with your schedule. Not when you feel like it. Because let's face it, we don't always feel like following God, do we? He said, seek first. See, the Bible gives us very specific orders of priorities that we should follow. And first and foremost, our very first and primary commitment is to follow God himself, right? God should be priority number one. Just as we just read in Matthew 6.33, Jesus should be first, and there shouldn't even be a very close second to him. He wants it all, and he deserves it all. So he's number one. Now, if you're married, your spouse should be number two. I've seen and met a lot of couples over the years where the couples are here and there and everywhere, and they do more for their kids than they do for each other. They're like these two roommates living under the same roof, but they don't have any kind of intimacy. And that's not what God wants, right? Before giving our best to our job or uh, uh, our hobbies or even our kids, God wants us to give our best affection and attention to our spouse. The Bible says that you and I are like halves and and. and He's a half and she's a half, and when they get married, they become one. And when God is at the center of this relationship, it's like this 
version of God's trinity where we're loving and serving each other. And there's this, this physical and spiritual and emotional oneness that we have together. Ephesians 5 says how to do this. It says, husbands, love your wives. Serve them, love them, honor them, cherish them. And, and wives, honor your husbands as if you're honoring the Lord. And when we honor each other, when we try to outserve one another, we have this awesome marriage built on God and we're ready for our third priority, and that's kids. Priority number three should be your children. There are times, friends, when I consider the world that our kids are growing up in, and I panic if I'm honest. I have a 16-year-old and a 14-year-old here right now, and I've never seen a time when up is down, good is bad, Right is wrong, like I see right now. And I'm going to tell you this. There are spiritual forces at work trying to destroy your kids and my kids. Trying to take them down. Trying to plant seeds of evil. And seeds of, of godlessness in their soul. And if you and I don't model our Christianity to them, if we don't take the Bible seriously, if we don't get our priorities lined up, there's not a, a good chance they ever will. However, the good news is that if you'll take your role seriously, if you'll invest some time with your kids, if you'll read the Bible with them, if you'll show them what it means to wrestle with God and to try to be godly in a wicked world, I believe that you and I one day can claim Proverbs 22.6. Here's what it says. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's older, he will not depart from it. Parents, I want you to know you're not alone. It's as hard for me as it's as hard for you, and it doesn't matter if I'm a pastor or not. It's hard. But I want you to know that we have ministries who love your kids, and we have volunteers serving right in this moment, caring for your kid, caring for your student, wanting to invest in them and share the Bible with them, but one hour with them a week is not enough. So we have tools that we've created. If you go to the Sagebrush app, you can actually open the app and click on a tab called Resources, Okay. Click on resources, you'll see a menu of small groups and Kids Planet and Remix Student Ministries. You can click on those. And there are so many tools we pack into there every single week for you where you can find out what your child or your student learned about. You can practice a memory verse during the week. There's even challenges and devotionals you can do with your kids. And listen, it's your way to take what happens on the weekend and keep it going all week long. Costs you nothing. I wish more parents would use this because we know how many use it. It's not that many. But we offer it to you for free because we want you to use it to help your kid grow. Well, the good news is once God is priority one, your spouse is second, and your kids are third, then your hobbies, your work, uh, your, your friendships, other things can fall into place, and you're in a healthy place in your relationships. And that's really the third thing where Satan wants to divide you. He wants you to have divided relationships. He wants to divide you from the people that either can influence you to be better or that you can influence for Christ. So he's going to do everything he can to get in between those relationships. Listen, if you have friendships that don't really build you up in your faith, Satan's fine with that. No big deal. They're not, they're not going to help you. If you have relationships with people who don't want to hear a thing about Christianity, Satan's fine with that. Because you're not going to change anybody's destiny if they don't want to hear about God. 
But when you start getting into a small group, when you start building relationships with people where you're reading the Bible together and praying together and doing life together with them and, and, and having some accountability in your life, practicing and memorizing scripture together, oh man, it's on. That's not what Satan wants for you, but that's what you and I need. And if you're not in that relationship, I would challenge you to remember the words in Hebrews that say this, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of Jesus's return is drawing near. You and I, we're made for relationship. We're made to grow together. And so I encourage you, I implore you, please, if you're not in biblical community, if you're not in some kind of sagebrush group, please do one. Please get in one. Please take that seriously because you need that. Satan wants to keep you from that. Don't let him win. But there's one other area where he wants to divide you. He wants to divide you from people that you can impact for Christ. He wants you to stay in your holy huddle if you're in a small group where it's us four and no more. And I found that a lot of Christians, when they, when they first come to Christ, they begin to kind of blow off people uh, that they used to hang out with. And in some instances, you need to get away from negative influences. But that's not exactly what we do. We kind of get into this kind of exclusive thing where church becomes about us and our time is about us and we have our Christian friends and we eat our testaments, mints, right? It, it, we get into this Christian bubble, guys, and we, we don't impact anybody for Christ anymore. How do I know that? Because that's exactly what I did. See, I had this friend in high school named Chad and Chad and I were best friends. We were inseparable. And we weren't Christians, but we weren't terrible. We didn't get into too much trouble. And we had a lot of fun together and enjoyed life. And then I became a Christian. And when I became a Christian, I decided to basically push myself away from all my non-Christian friends, including my friend Chad. Now, some of my friends were pretty terrible and they partied and I needed to get away from those guys, at least initially. But Chad wasn't like that. I would get on social media and I would talk about scriptural things and I would tell people about heaven and hell, and I would act really spiritual, and I would become this little jerk, this little legalistic jerk who was too, too high and mighty to be friends with sinful people like Chad. And I hurt him, and, and I didn't even realize I was hurting him. He would send me birthday cards, and he would try to be my friend, and I would just kind of blow him off because he wasn't a Christian. And then one day I got a, a message from him, and he said, listen, man, I've been thinking, I don't want to be your friend anymore. You're a jerk. You, you tell me all this stuff about Christianity and how it's changed you, but I don't see it. I see somebody who thinks they're better than everybody else, and I don't ever want to talk to you again. And in that moment, I was so hurt, I was so offended that I said, fine. Five years went by. That's how hard my heart was. And one particular evening in 2018, I was in this auditorium, and it was a Friday night. It was a Easter Friday night service. I was sitting right back there, right next to the center camera, and Todd was teaching about forgiveness. He was teaching about being reconciled. He was teaching about loving lost people, and my heart was beating 100 miles an hour because I knew I had been a jerk. And it was like the Holy Spirit was saying, this is you. 
Who do you think you are? You have a chance to influence your best friend from high school for Christ, and you're being a jerk. And in one moment, I just felt this shame and this guilt, and I opened up my phone, and I actually sent a, a messenger through Facebook Messenger, a message straight to, straight to Chad. It was March 30th, 2018. How do I know the date? Because I still have that in my Messenger app. In fact, it's right here on the screens. Here's what I told him. I said, Chad, it's been five years since we spoke last, and I've thought about you often, but I figured you'd never want to talk to me again. I've had a lot of time to think about my life and my friends, and I've come to the conclusion that you're right. I'm a terrible friend. I wasn't a great friend when you lived in Albuquerque and was even worse after you moved. I've been selfish and didn't make much effort to stay connected even when you tried to. If you're still reading this, I just want to say that I'm very sorry. You were always the best friend I could have asked for, and I took that for granted. I don't want to make any excuses or blame anyone else. I failed, and I'm sorry. Even if you never speak to me again, I hope you can find a place in your heart someday to forgive me. I have so many great memories of you and me and Diane, too. That's his wife. And for those, I will always be grateful, Chris. Right in the middle of that service, I sent that. I was so convicted. And within a few minutes, I got a, I got a message back from Chad. And he said, listen, I'll forgive you if you'll forgive me. He said, I, I was going through a hard time when I said those words and I didn't mean them. And I said, I didn't mean it either. And I said, I've learned a lot, and I hope that I can rebuild a friendship with you. And little by little, we began to rebuild that friendship. Uh, I visited him a couple times out in Phoenix. He came and had dinner at my home with Amy and I just a couple months ago. And we were able to sit around our dinner table and catch up on memories and talk about our walk with God. We were able to share with him about how difficult the last year's been, losing my brother-in-law, and yet trusting in God. And I don't know if Chad and Diane will ever be Christians. But I'm not going to let Satan separate me from them any longer. Or anybody else that I could have influence with. Just because of my stupid pride. And friend, you may have someone in your life right now that... You know God is speaking to you right now. You've got to make up with them, a, a parent or a person in your family, because to be separated from them means you've lost the chance to have influence for Christ. And I pray that before this service is done, just as I did, you will, you will respond to the move of the Holy Spirit in your life, and you will say something or do something or meet with someone and make things right again. Because listen, you may be the only Jesus someone ever knows on earth. Don't let Satan divide you from that. Don't let Satan divide you from your heart for God. Don't let him divide you from your priorities being in the right order. And don't let him divide you from loving and hanging around Christians to grow and lost people to show them Christ. I've been wearing this wristband that says, love all, serve all. And I pray that that's your mantra and my mantra as we wrap up this series. Let's pray. Father, I am ashamed to admit how many years I allowed my hard heart and my spiritual arrogance keep me from loving people well. Lord, I, I think of my friends in here who uh, may be struggling with a half-heartedness with you. 
I pray they would go completely in, that they would not waver. They would become wholehearted for Jesus today. Or my friends, Lord, who their priorities are completely off. Would you give them the courage, Lord, to reorder their day, reorder their schedule so that you are the most important thing for them? And Lord, for those who maybe are not in biblical community growing or maybe they are, but they're not reaching out to anybody to share the love of Christ, would you help them not allow the enemy to divide them or deceive them or discourage them? I pray they would put their trust and their hope in you. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.